As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Soccer 101, the podcast where we scratch the soccer itches you never knew you had. This listener is a very, very special episode, our 101st episode. But you knew that because you probably recently listened to our 100th episode. This is a part two of our Centurion Extravaganza. Extravaganza? Extravaganza. Where we are defining 101 important soccer terms. So if for some reason this is your first Soccer 101 episode, maybe just jump back. One episode in the feed for the first part. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have Taylor Rockwell. Hello, sir. Hello. Graham Rothman, hello. Good day. Joe Lowry, hot dogs? Hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ryan, that's so dangerous what you're doing. (laughs) Well, you seem to, at the end of the last episode, it was quite, a, we had, we've gamified this uh, glossary listener. If you listen to the uh, part one, you will know that. We've got 30 seconds to define these terms. By the end of it, Joe, you seem to just be saying the word hot dogs a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty much what happened. If anyone listened, they already know that, though. Um, I'm going to, my, my vow, gentlemen, for this episode is to say hot dogs just a little bit less. It's going to be difficult, but I'm going to You're already struggling with that vow. Yeah, I already said it like eight times. <laughs> Good stuff, okay. guys. All Spe- right. Wait, speaking of struggling, though, I, this is a very special episode because it's 101. It's also very special because I plan to spend most of it tracking Ryan's battery on his laptop because at some point he's going to have to plug in and maybe electrocute himself. Ryan, where are we on the battery situation? Yeah, my battery is at 13%, listener. And oh boy. Uh, due to the unique way in which my home in Italy is wired, many of the outlets, electro- they make my computer um, shock me. So if I plug it in his room, it shocks me, so I can't touch it. So uh, there's a lot of fun things going on in this episode, shall we say. What, what uh, I know isn't the case, but am truly hoping is the case, is that Ryan is just so stubborn about living in Italy that he's refusing to use adapters and is just cramming his American outlet, like his American <laughs> uh, plugs into the European outlets, hoping yeah, for the best. I just got a hammer and just stuck it in. That's what you're supposed to do, right? <laughs> so we're at 13. Are we at 12 yet? <laughs> Wonderful stuff. All right. Who needs voltage? Uh, Stray voltage running into my veins every time I touch my trackpad. We've done uh, 50 terms. This is how you become an Avenger, I think. Right? 
Maybe, maybe. Maybe we're going to gain superhero strength. We shall find out by the end of the episode, Graham, where we will be covering terms 50 through 101. We're going alphabetically. We're going to do N through Z. In this episode, we're taking alternate turns just like we were before. The only rule is your definition must be 30 seconds or fewer, or you get one of these. (gasps) Is that an electric shock? Yeah, that was just me Yeah, passing out from my laptop. Uh, I'm going to get the ball rolling because why the heck not? Uh, I'm going to start off with the term nutmeg. A nutmeg is when you pass or shoot the ball between an opponent's legs. It's abbreviated to meg or megging an opponent. Uh, the origin is interesting because it could either be the rhyming slang, cockney rhyming slang for leg, or because apparently back in the day nutmeg importers would trick uh, the people they imported to, their exporters, by shipping pieces of wood instead of nutmeg. They were tricking them. Nutmegging is similar because you're tricking your opponent to make them look foolish. 23 seconds. You're very welcome. We go next to Joseph Lowry, who's going to tell us what the the term offside means. Okay, offside is one of soccer's laws. It started in a pretty different form back in 1863, but it has evolved since then. A player is in an offside position if they are closer to the opponent's goal line than the last two defenders, and one of those two is almost always the goalkeeper. So play is then stopped and possession is given to the other team if a player in an offside position at the time the ball, if a player is in the offside position, excuse me, at the time the ball is being passed to that forward player. Basically, you're offside if your teammate passes you the ball when you're standing behind the back line. That's generally how it works. Oh, I think you're about one word out there, Joe. Very good effort, though. Very good effort. Graham, can you do better? You've got the same term with an extra word attached to it. Offside trap. Go. Okay, so an offside trap is a tactic employed by teams to essentially stop opposition attacking moves and and win the ball back. So this trap basically involves placing the other team's player in an offside position. The position is between the team's goal and their last defender. This requires a lot of synchronisation and a lot of work on the training ground. It can be highly effective when done well and disastrous when not done well. A good example is how Liverpool use an offside trap with their high line a lot. Wonderful, Graham. Thank you very much. Taylor Rockwell, we come to you for the first time in Mm -hmm. part two. You're going to tell us what the term outside back means. Uh, Brit's favorite expression for fullback, uh, but in actuality, nails on a chalkboard for Brit's. For Americans, it means fullback or right back slash left back. That's simply it. There's no difference between a fullback and an outside back, right? Not that I know of. Yeah, me either. Okay, that's good to know. Good to know. Thank you very much. I'm going to go with overhead kick. Here I go. An overhead kick is a bicycle kick or a scissor kick or a Chilena uh, because it's made famous uh, in Chilean soccer originally. An acrobatic shot on goal is an overhead kick. Usually with your back to goal, you turn, hit the ball over your own head and land on your back. Basically, it's actually dangerous play because you're raising your boot above head height level. Usually it's allowed, though. A famous example, Gareth Bale in the 2018 Champions League final. I went a bit well with my term there but I'm still under 30 seconds so I can keep talking it's all good um, we'll go <laughs> you <now>. can <laughs> I can but I shouldn't house Joe. money over there <laughs> Joe Lowry overlap go sir an overlap is a type of move that a player can make when they don't have the ball. So, Taylor, I'm going to pull you into my example here. Imagine that Taylor has the ball on the, the left wing. If I'm the left back, I might make an overlapping run by sprinting forward to Taylor's left, so it's outside. And the goal of that run, that overlap, is to draw attention away from Taylor and to create a numerical advantage on that left wing or, or to create some sort of advantage over the defense. Taylor, thank you for being my teammate in this, even though you didn't ask to be and uh, didn't really contribute anything because you didn't have to. Hot dogs. Hot dogs. <laughs> didn't he? Didn't he, Joe? He, yeah, just I mean, said he, he did just now. Dang right. Wonderful stuff. All right. Hey, Graham, 
I've I've got a bit more Warburg. What's a Paninka? Paninka. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So <laughs> remember when he played a science teacher in a movie? That was hilarious, huh? <laughs> I'm gonna start your cock again, Graham. Away you go. Okay, thank you. I'm going to split this one into into two parts. First, the technical explanation. So, Panenka is a gently chipped penalty kick down the middle of the goal. It's executed after a purposeful run and a fake that sends the goalkeeper diving to the wrong to the to the wrong side of the net. And it makes them look a bit foolish. Now the historical explanation. I'm going to have to be quick. Panenka penalty is named after former Czech footballer Antonin Panenka. He attempted it in the Euro 76 final against West Germany. No one had ever seen the technique of taking a penalty like this before. And so it was named after him like a constellation named after an astronomer. Boom. Dead on, Graham. Textbook stuff. Thank you very much. Taylor Rockwell, we come to you for peace Mm -hmm. and power. Uh, Pacing power is a lazy and racist phrase used by lazy commentators, often used to describe black or African players. It reduces an athlete to generic terms, which isn't necessarily an issue. But when it's only said out of like ignorance and the easiest possible descriptor, that's where it takes a different turn. The crowning disachievement of this would be Senegal versus Japan in the World Cup, in which it was pace and power versus aggressive discipline of Japan. Anytime you're using generic terms, it's not a great thing as a commentator. Oh boy. Thank you very much for that one, Taylor Rockwell. I will continue with the peas, and I've got Parachute Payment. It's a series of payments spread over multiple seasons for teams relegated from the Premier League. Payments are split over three years. The aim is to help the clubs cope with reduced income from dropping out of the Premier League. Helps if they've uh, got a, players on high wages and so on. Each club receives 55% of the amount that each Premier League team would collect under an equal share of broadcast revenue. Goes down to 45% in the second year, 20% in the year after that. So this year that would be $50 million, then $43 million, then approximately $19 million in the third year. Parachute payments what can i say you're welcome bit of moana for you there joe you like that <laughs> two t- yes yes uh it's gonna be in my head now it's it, not good. it also it also creates a situation where we just have watford and fulham bouncing between two divisions for a decade so which we all love payments yes yeah yeah don't forget norwich. norwich now we're getting involved too yep yep yo-yo clubs graham a term coming up later in this podcast Ooh. uh joe i would like you to tell me about parking the bus Norwich. That's something they do all the time. So to park the bus means to be very defensive. You defend deep. You're defending for large stretches of the game. This term became popular when we saw a lot of Jose Mourinho's Inter team in the Champions League and their defensive approach. This idea has been around for a lot longer, but that term of just kind of sitting out and and parking the bus in your own defensive third or in your own half, it means to be very, very defensive. Wonderful stuff. Parking the bus. Graham, um, a question you'll, you'll fear your child asking you one day. What does penetration mean? <laughs> uh, I knew you couldn't resist making a rude joke about this one. Anyway, <laughs> let's keep this one short. In soccer, penetration means forward passes or forward actions that go through the opposition lines. Uh, once those penetra- penetrative passes get through, it elim- eliminates the line of players that broke through and leaves the player in possession closer to the opposition goal. Mm. Penetrating answers from Graham Rutherford. Thank you very much, Graham. Taylor Rockwell, playing advantage. Yes, sir. That would be when a foul has occurred, but the official allows play to continue because the foul team is judged to still have an attacking opportunity or advantage. Uh, can then be called back and a free kick given if the advantage immediately disappears. But it's one of my favorite little moments is when a ref gets it right, the team then scores, and you get to see the ref celebrate correctly giving advantage. Mm, that's very Mike Dean, isn't it? To celebrate it giving advantage. He used yeah. to be, I think it was like people accused of him being a Spurs fan because there was two different clips of him celebrating a Spurs goal, but both times it was because he had allowed advantage to go and then it led to a goal. 
I mean, when a podcast goes well, I often run up around the house with my arms in the air cheering myself. So I understand Mike Dean in a way. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. I do do that. When you all are giving your definitions of things, if I make it under the timeline, I mute myself and run around celebrating. <laughs> that explains a lot. Thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell. Uh, I'm going to go back on the clock myself now with poacher. Uh, that's usually a striker who waits near the opponent's goal to poach a goal, or generally a player who creates attacking opportunities, uh, who makes opportunities other players might not try or capitalise upon. So I think there's two kind of ways of looking at it, like a Gary Lineker, the old-fashioned poacher, who you might call a goal hanger, or the more modern interpretation, I'd call like a Luis Suarez, someone who's tenacious and who can create an opportunity out of nothing. That sound does that sound about right, Taylor? Would you would you agree with that, Poacher? Yeah, I think so. Sorry, I was still running around the room celebrating correctly defining <laughs> playing advantage. But yeah, it sounded like what you said was accurate. Thank you very much. You were, yeah, I had to call you back to your seat. I was just testing the theory there. Um, I'm gonna go celebrate agreeing that you got it right now. See you guys later. Bye. Oh, he's so positive. That's what I love about TR. Uh Joe Lowry, press. So pressing or, or performing a press is what you do as a defender or the defensive team. It means stepping towards an attacker or the attacking team. One of the most common forms of pressing is high pressing, which is usually defined as a press that takes place in the defensive team's final third, the attacking team's defensive third. Basically, you're stepping high up the field. You're being aggressive. Pressing has really swept a lot of the biggest teams in the world right now. It's swept all across those teams. They use it all the time. It's hard to watch a game without seeing at least some form of pressing. Oh, you're getting right under the buzzer each time, Joe. I'm loving it. I don't think anyone's been buzzed in this uh, in this section so far. Very good play is it bad, all round. Is it bad that I kind of want to be buzzed? Like, I just want to feel feel it, you know? Right. Something. Feel something. You just want to feel yeah, something? I, I mean, <laughs> maybe the next one I'll just sort of mess around and, and get buzzed. You are such a naughty boy, Joe. I yeah. love it. Is anyone else increasingly worried about Joe as these shows go on? <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening. Um, not Joe, to deflect. Oxygen. Uh, yeah. Maybe. It, I'm in a very small space. Um, not to deflect, Ryan, how is the electrocution counter coming along? Are we getting closer? Oh, yeah. I haven't plugged in. I'm on 7%. I'm going to have to plug in soon. <laughs> you but thank really you should for... plug in, like, right now. Thank you for your yeah. concern, Joe. I'm going to try and hold I'm off as long as I I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be like the opening scene from Back to the Future where the amp explodes. That's going to be Ryan when he plugs <laughs> his laptop in. Yeah, yeah, it probably will. Uh, maybe I'll just won't touch the laptop at that point, and then it will go to the screensaver, and everything will be a disaster. Uh, Graham, pressing trigger, please. So keep in mind a lot of what Joe said about pressing. A pressing trigger is the action that prompts the defending team into the pressing or into an action. So for some teams, a pressing trigger will be a heavy touch from a defender. For others, it will be a certain minute of the game or a, or a ball entering a certain zone of the pitch. That will be the trigger. Wonderful stuff. Thank you, Graham. We've had press. We've had pressing trigger. Taylor, to round out this section before we take a break, pressure. Yeah, I was going to go that way, way as well. My initial definition was David Bowie. Uh, it would be when a defender seeks to limit physical distance between a player on the ball and his or herself, usually done at speed. I was coached that you want to make a player put their head down to check where the ball is or to turn their back and start shielding. That means that you are applying correct pressure. People on the streets, thank you very much, uh, Taylor. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to term 67 of 101. What an adventure we're on. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Soccer 101, welcome back to the show. We are going through the 101 soccer terms you need to know. We have got alphabetically to number 67. It is my turn. It is Rabona. It's a kicking technique for passing or shooting. It means kicking uh, your kicking foot is crossed behind your standing leg. You'll have seen Eric Lamella do it quite famously for Spurs once in the Europa League and once in the North London Derby. He won the Pushkas Award for a Rabona shot in 2021. Uh, apparently comes from an Argentine football magazine called El Grafico uh, in the 1940s. The expression comes from Herquesi la Rabona. Sorry, don't speak Spanish, which means to skip school without your parents' permission. It kind of means skipping using your strong foot and hitting it uh, using your weak foot and hit with your strong foot. Oh, I buzzed myself. I had to buzz myself for the first time because I misspoke. I went over 31 seconds. You did really well with it though, Ryan, because I've tried to define Rabona before too and I always come to that like, it's skipping school because it's like you're skipping the... It's really difficult once you get yeah. into it, but it does eventually make sense. It's the, the, the sense of it is you're skipping using your weaker foot right. to hit it with your stronger. That is the logic there, which I couldn't quite um, enunciate in the time period. But thank you, Taylor. Um, Joe, I come to you for the next term. It is El Rondo. Sorry, real quick, Ryan. How does it feel to be electrocuted and buzzed within the span of like 30 seconds from our last break to now? Just quick yeah, thoughts. I have plugged in the laptop. Um, I'm in pain, but let's keep going. Okay, He's the one that needs oxygen, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'll give you some of mine. It's coming. You just got to wait like a really long time for it to get to Rome. Anyway, Rondo. A Rondo is a soccer drill where a group of offensive players stand in a circle surrounding a couple or a, a, some number of defensive players. So the offensive players are trying to pass the ball to each other through the circle or around the circle, keeping it away from the defensive players. The defensive players try to work together to win the ball. Pretty straightforward. The Rondos have been, have been around since the 1950s, I believe, and are a pretty darn good way to prepare players for high-pressure situations where they might be low on space. Pep loves them. You might want to love them, too. I do love them. Thank good. you very much, Joseph Lowry. Uh, Graham Ruthven, we come to you with Route 1. So Route 1 is a style of playing football in which a, a team attacks by kicking the ball high and long towards an opponent's goal rather than passing the ball forward. It's not too dissimilar from sticking it in the mixer, but I would consider a Route 1 approach to come from a slightly deeper position, maybe even from the goalkeeper as they kick the ball long and forward. Thank you very much. A Route 1 answer for that. Under 20 seconds, Graham. Very good Ooh. indeed. Taylor, this term I'm going to ask you to describe now, I kind of associate with Rugby, but it is a soccer term as well. The term is scrimmage. There you go, and you're not wrong to associate it with violence. Uh, a <laughs> practice game is what a scrimmage is, usually between either two different teams or two groups of players from the same team, but it derives from the word skirmish, which is a brief and a regular battle, so a brief and a regular practice game. Wow. Half the time you took there, Tay-Tay. Love it. Thank you very much. I try. I try. I'm trying I to know. keep us from going fully off the rails by going as fast as I can and then talking 
way more after I'm done. <laughs> you are exploiting the rules, and I love it. Thank you very much, Tay Tay. Okay. Uh, earlier in the show, in part one, in fact, we had the double pivot. I shall now tell you what single pivot means. Uh, it's a defensing, defensive or holding midfielder who sits between the defensive midfield lines, who supports and screens the defence, breaks up counterattacks, and starts counterattacks as well. You'll see it in a 4-3-3 formation, sometimes in a 4-1-4-1, basically anything with a, a screen in front of the defence. Pep has used it. He's used a single and a double pivot. You might have seen Fernandinho in that kind of role, for example. Even John Stones has done it in some games as well. And you'll have seen Marcelo Bielsa use it. Calvin Phillips, often used as a single pivot. You're welcome. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, we go next to Joseph Lowry. By the way, Joe, did I get single pivot there? Did you like that? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot, Ryan Bailey. Excellent. I do seek your approval on such terms, and I appreciate it. Joe, six-pointer, please. So a six-pointer is a term used to describe a game between two teams who are in a similar spot in the table. So come with me to Spain, a little Spanish adventure. If Barcelona are on 50 points and Real Madrid are on 50 points, that game, if they play each other, would be called a six-pointer. Why? Well, because if Barca wins, not only do they get their three points, but they also control the outcome for their rivals, for Real Madrid, and deny them three points. The same thing would go if Real Madrid won and Barcelona lost. That's why games between teams that are close on the table are called six-pointers. Oh, 29 seconds, Joe. You absolutely nailed that one. When you said, come with me to Spain, I was picturing you like uh, in like a travel show, like maybe on an, on an airplane screen saying, come with me to Spain. And we had tapas and it was fun. And the only town that we visit is Villarreal. The only area, <laughs> the only team that we spend any time around is Villarreal. Is there any other, Joe? That's no, what I ask. Of course you. not. Of course not. How many, how many people live there again? Oh, like 39,999, somewhere ah, thereabouts. Right. Yeah. It's unclear. The the, uh, data isn't out there, I'm afraid, Graham. Um, The data, however, on this next uh, terminology, Graham, is for you. Sixes and sevens, please. Okay, so this is one of my longer ones. This is a term that means to be completely in a mess, uh, especially when describing poor defensive organization. It's most frequently used to describe one team that is confused or in disarray, allowing the opposing team to score or create an opportunity to score. For instance, Scotland were at sixes and sevens against Ukraine the other night, unfortunately. In terms of the history of this term, it's not known for certain where it comes from, but the most likely origin of the phrase is the dice game hazard, which is apparently a bit like craps. Sixes and sevens were apparently the most risky numbers to shoot in this game, and anyone... We'll never I mean, know. I have to finish this tidbit. Yeah, we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, you can finish, but you're out of time. And anyone who tried for sixes and sevens was considered careless or confused. So there you go, sixes and sevens. You could have spoken quicker and got that last sentence in, Graham. <laughs> Promise you could have. I, I probably could have, yeah. I, the, the start was too laboured. <laughs> that was good. Thank you very much, though, Graham. Uh, Taylor, your yep. next term, uh, I hope it doesn't refer to like a crazy NFT scheme. It is socio. It does not. And, and credit to Graham for referencing the Scotland game. Ian Dark doing the, the commentary for that game did indeed say Scotland were at sixes and sevens on multiple occasions. Asocio uh, is a Spanish word for partner or associate, an individual member who, as part of a collective, can own certain football clubs, namely Barcelona and Real Madrid. Currently 143,000 socios for Barcelona, and they have a voting say in certain decisions, including the election of a club president. I mean, you could have just said Spanish for member. That would have been fine, too. (laughs) (laughs) Much more concise. But yes, thank you, Taylor. I think we might have needed to explain why that term would be in here as opposed to just Spanish remember and on we go. (laughs) You need to round out 100. 
I was just being a little glib, Taylor. It's late in the day. Um, I'm going to come with you. I'm going to come with you and give you the term square ball right now. It's quite simple. Uh, a ball that goes sideways or laterally, not forwards or backwards during play. So you play it square across midfield, for example. Uh, dangerous to do if you're a defender and you do it across your own box. When I was a lad, I was taught never to play a square ball across your own box. Um, but you still see it in the pros sometimes. Joe? Yeah, if anything, that's like fundamental to Pep Guardiola's entire philosophy, which feels very wrong to a 12-year-old Taylor. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, I think all that you just told us there is that you weren't coached by, like, a disciple of Johan Cruyff, which I guess is understandable. <laughs> no, unfortunately I wasn't, no. no. Nah. Just some guy who used to smoke during our training practices. That's uh... Maybe Jordi Cruyff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, thank you. Let's go, Joe, to you. Oh, one of my favorite terms in the world of soccer. Squeaky bum time. So I mentioned, no, 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 the clock is not starting yet. This is preamble. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when I'm actually beginning. I mentioned last okay, episode. Joe, everybody, Joe's making the rules now. Come on, Joe. <laughs> I, I mentioned... <laughs> In the last episode, there were terms that were put on this list of terms that I have never heard in my entire life. Ryan, you revealed just that. I'm pretty sure that it was you who put this on there. I've never heard of squeaky bum time really? ever before. Really? What? Okay, here That's we a go. Good one. I'll begin now that I've, I've announced my ignorance. Here we go. Okay. Squeaky bum time is apparently the last few minutes of a game when it's still anybody's game and fans are starting to get nervous. I'd never heard this before. LOL. That's directly from my notes. It's referring to the sounds <laughs> that are made by people moving around in plastic stadium seats. Unnecessary. That Unnecessary. Is, <laughs> that is squeaky bum time. Never heard of it. Love it now, though. I really That's do. A, it's fun. It's a Sir Alex Ferguson phrase, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Megan sure. That's all you need to know, Joe. There we go. Boom. Yeah, Done. exactly, Joe. Made famous by Sir Alex Ferguson, referring to when things get a bit squeaky. tight at the end of the season, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah good stuff. Squeaky bum. Every day's a school day, Joe. What can yes, we say? it is. For me, what at least. <laughs> I actually, Joe, I'm going to I'm gonna backtrack from my initial declaration. I'm glad that you clarified that because it didn't occur to me that it's like in the seats. I always thought I was like Sir Alex Ferguson talking about himself. And I was like, dude, you're telling us, like, go see a proctologist. I don't need to know what's going on with you in that way. So I appreciate your definition, not his. Yeah. I mean, hopefully that's what it, that's what the Internet told me. And the Internet never Ooh. lies. No, never. Yeah. It's either that or Fergie's flatulence. Yes. <laughs> see, that's why I always presume, Graham, it was flatulence. Anxiety-causing flatulence, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had squeaky bum time through this panic attack of a podcast <laughs> from the very start. Speaking of which, Graham, you're up next. Striker, go! <laughs> okay, so this is quite a fundamental one. Uh, striker is one of the four main positions in football. Strikers are generally the players closest to the opposition goal, with the, their principal role being to score goals. They are also known as forwards or attackers, although I would say they are slightly more broader terms, but nonetheless, that is what a striker is. Wonderful stuff. Easy enough. Taylor Rockwell, uh, speaking of strikers, your term is Target Man. Ryan on a Saturday afternoon. hey <laughs> Uh It's used to describe a particular style of striker or center forward whose main role is to win high balls in the air, hold up the ball, and create chances for other members of the team in addition to scoring goals themselves. Excellent stuff. Easy enough once again. And I've got an easy one coming up here, I think, anyway. Um, techers. It's just short for technique. If you trap a ball well from 40 yards, you have good techers. If you can hit a ball on the volley, or if you can't, you don't have good techers. Young person abbreviation, like noobs for newbies, Joe. Did you, had, had you heard techers? Had you heard techers before? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'd heard that one before. I don't have any. I'm awful at soccer and anything involving a particular skill move. But yes, I have heard the term. 
Okay, good. I think it's a very distinctly British term, Graham, is it not? Yeah, like platy jubes. Like platy jubes, <laughs> uh, the holiday in which we are all enjoying and celebrating um, our monarch. Thank you very much, Graham. Our um, monarch? You get out of here with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same we for can, me as well. We kind of finished with that like a few yeah, hundred years yeah. ago, Ryan. We couldn't have been more heard. clear about that. <laughs> fair, fair. And I actually quite literally live in a, pu- a republic which is having a holiday celebrating its republic status today, uh, being Italy. Anywho, Joe Lowry, I come to you because I would like to know what the term testimonial match means, please. It's a game when a club sets up a match simply, ah, there's a lot of games and matches in that definition. It's a game that's set up to honor an important player. So that player's probably played for the club for a very long time. Sometimes the player will play for a half, like a half with one team with their current teammates and then maybe another half with the other team that might be made up of former teammates from past years. So Alan Shearer, Steven Gerrard, Wayne Rooney, all of those players had testimonials. They were important players at their respective clubs. Excellent stuff. Um, Graham, is the testimonial rule that's 10 years? Is that generally what it is Gen- generally 10 years but i have seen clubs do it slightly before that 10 year mark if mm. they are retiring or, or such but yes I, 10 years is, is the way it's it's traditionally is i think it's always been traditionally you're right there graham but i have seen it that that rule has been relaxed somewhat in some circumstances as you say yeah i mean um, i'm pretty sure jude bellingham got a birmingham city testimonial <laughs> he played there for two seasons next is gold-plated statue in the middle of the yeah. stadium yes indeed um graham i come to you next the 12th man so the 12th man is the term given to the influence of a home support or atmosphere on a team. The idea is that home support is so powerful, such a driving force behind the team, that they effectively played the match with 12 men rather than 11. So think about Anfield on a European night. That crowd has been described as a 12th man for Liverpool countless times over the years. Similar was said about Rangers in the Europa League this season when Ibrox was a bit of a fortress. So that's where that term comes from. Definitely. So it always reminds me, Graham, of uh, Norwich's owner, owner, Delia Smith, drunkenly on the field saying, where are you? Appealing to... Let's be Avenue. Let's be Avenue to the 12th man (laughs) in the stands at Carrow Road. Indeed. (laughs) What a wonderful game. (laughs) Wonderful game, everybody. Um, Taylor Rockwell, tell me, please, what the Italian term tifo means. Mm -hmm. A colourful, vibrant, and usually choreographed visual display by football supporters. They tend to be carefully planned and often involve each individual supporter playing a part, usually forming a mosaic or something like that. Uh, it comes from the Italian word for typhus fever, obviously, uh, which can cause <laughs> an outbreak of delirium in those who suffer it. Supporters who form a tifo, tifo are known as tifosi, which is the Italian word for those infected with typhus. Italy needs to calm down, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness me. I can't say the last time I had a topical reference to typhus, but uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> wow, that's that's great. We, we are learning some stuff today. That's really good. Thank you very much, Taylor. Uh, we're going to take a quick break after this term, which I'm going to lay on you. It's the one I'm worried about getting under 30 seconds the most from this entire operation. Here we go. Tiki Taka, a style of play involving accurate short passing, working the ball through the channels patiently, and an emphasis on retaining possession. It translates roughly to touch, touch. It's about multiple touches and maintaining possession, as I say. Most famously, the Spain team under Aragonis and Del Bosque uh, used this uh, Tiki Taka. They won the World Cup and the Euros, of course. Associated with Pep's Barcelona, had its origins with uh, Johan Cruyff, uh, um, his Barcelona team, in which Pep played, of course. At its extreme, it's all about beautiful passing, more than actually scoring. It can be a bit dull, uh, it can be in a structure formation it can be predictable that was my time 
Um, that was well done. That Thank was, you. Was, I think you got it under the clock, right? I think I was at 30 seconds there. Basically, the point I was trying to make at the end there is sometimes Tiki Taka uh, can be viewed as being a bit dull. And Taylor, do you feel like it's one of those things that like it happened and now it's done, right? I mean, in the sense like that, I think that terminology has, (laughs) has come and gone, but I think the idea behind it still exists because ultimately it's you're keeping possession to allow your team to get into the ideal attacking shape, but also the ideal shape to then defend if you lose possession. So it's basically keeping possession in order to put yourself in advantageous positions, mm. which I think is still pretty common in certain places, at least. I suppose what I mean by it being done is like the Spanish team at its peak that used it. Yeah which The Guardian would refer to as the Spanish art project because it was only interesting, beautiful passing rather than actually scoring goals. And if you were to say that Pep Guardiola used it, then he's advanced, hasn't he? He's moved on from there. He's added more terrifying pace and whatnot to the tiki-taka ideas. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I think I think the real, like, not death knell, but the real reason why I think so many people have, like, negative feelings towards it is because when you're very, very good at it and you can keep possession pretty much without any sort of issue, then when you do score that one goal, you don't really need to score anymore. And that's where it would get really boring, is Barcelona scoring a goal inside the first 10 minutes, and then they're going to complete 900 passes over the next 80 minutes. All right, Tiki Taka was term 83 of 101. When we return, we will conclude our Super Glossary. Back soon. Soccer 101, welcome back to our 101st episode, Spectaculare! We are on term 84, not long to go, Joe Lowry. You are coming up next, good sir. By the way, electrocution update, my laptop's up to 30%. I've unplugged again. I am safe again. Thank you for your concern, Joe. I appreciate you very much. Uh, Joe, your term is... No, I'm sorry. Why not just leave it plugged in? Because it keeps electrocuting me, dude. Only when it's plugged in does it electrocute Ryan. Every time. Every time, Taylor. Little current going through. Stray voltage. Not good. I, that's not good. That's no. not good at all. I know. I know. I've unplugged it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Anywho, uh, I need to find an electrician is the moral of this story. Joe Lowry, would you tell us what top bins slash upper 90 means, please? This feels to me like another British young person term. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. But basically, if a shot goes top bins or to the upper 90, it flies into the upper right or upper left-hand corner of the goal. So upper 90 refers to the angle where the post meets the crossbar. So if you hit the ball close to where those two pieces of metal meet, you've hit a shot upper 90. I think top bins might refer to somebody putting trash cans in the corners of the goal. I don't really know. There's not time for that discussion. Either way, <laughs> upper 90, much more simple to understand. Good stuff, Joe. I think, Graham, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, on the like Soccer AM show in the UK, when yeah. they, they have like actual like trash cans that's in right. each corner, so you hit it in top bins and that's where it goes. But I don't think that's where the term comes from, or no. does it? It's, it's sort of a chicken and egg situation. I'm not sure whether that came first and that's where the term came from or whether they did that because of the term. But you're right. On Soccer AM, they have like a skills challenge, and that is one of the challenges is to find the top bin of the goal. Can yeah. it be used as a like celebratory phrase? Like, can you say it as like, "Oh, top ends" if someone does something well, or is it exclusively about scoring goals? I think it's just about the shot. I, at least that's my understanding. Yeah. So if if you if you score and you find a top corner, yeah, someone would Google, "Oh, top ends," but that's kind of the only time it would be applicable. I think. Okay. So it wouldn't just be like, "Hey, I, I got a new home loan." <laughs> oh, top ends. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, you could, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and now to the I top shall. corner of life. Yay, yeah. there we go. Yeah, you really upper 90 that finance deal. Well done. Um, <laughs> on upper 90, Taylor, yeah. is lower 90 ever used? It 
Should be. It's pretty descriptive and accurate at that. So, yeah, let's just do that. Upper 90, lower 90, and uh, mid-flat? I don't know what that would be if you're hitting it, like, midway through the post. I mean, if you think about it, Taylor, there's a 90 in each of those corners. There's a lesson to be learned there. I don't know what I'm talking about. Just, anyway, just, just that the goal is a rectangle, I think, is what that teaches us. Yeah, math. That's what we're learning here. That's what we're learning. <laughs> oh, God. We have we have started the derailment. Oh, Let's no. keep going. Let's keep this train oh, no. going with Graham Rothman, who's going to tell us in his finest Dutch accent what total football means. I mean, I, I'm not, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just continue from here. There are full books on what total football, football is, so I'm just going to keep it very short and concise. It's a tactical playing theory in football where any outfield player adopts the role of any other player in the team. That means you have very fluid tactical systems in which no outfield player has a fixed set role or position. And Total Football was made famous by the, the Dutch national team in the run-up to uh, reaching this, the final of the 74 World Cup. Well, it's associated with Johan Cruyff, who played the system as a player and was a great advocate of it as a manager as well. Okay, I'll give you that, Graham. I'll give you that. Uh, for the record, listener, I'm using the timer on my iPhone and setting laps for each of these 30-second periods. So I am trying to run a type ship here. Uh, thank you very much, Graham, for total football and the explanation there. Taylor Rockwell, we come to you to learn about the transfer window. Yeah. A set period of time or window during which clubs are allowed to buy, sell, and specifically register players. The windows can fluctuate by country, but there tends to be one in the summer, one in the winter, and the term itself dates back to when a player could only be sold after they had been thrown out of a window. What? Yeah, I'm making that up. That's not right. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Just filling it out, man. Filling it out. I mean, that was fun. I enjoyed that as a detail. Thank you very That's much. That's pretty much how my net got rid of Paul Pogba this week, I think. <laughs> yeah. That, the the window's wide open right now in that respect, isn't it? And Man United. It was definitely there was definitely an and stay out vibe to his departure. <laughs> yeah. Only come back when we pay another hundred million for you. Yeah, that'll show him. Yeah. Okay. I hate my team. <laughs> Oh, bless your heart, Taylor. And not in the sudden way. I mean, you know what's really sad about it is that this is meant to be an evergreen episode, and there's a decent chance that whenever people listen to this, that will probably be a fairly accurate statement for me. Hooray. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that, Taylor. Um, I'm going to move <laughs> on to a term which I'm going to explain, another Italian term, trecatista. It's Italian for three quarters. Uh, it means when a player is three quarters of the way up the pitch between midfield and attack, it's a link player between both. A withdrawn forward or an attacking midfielder is effectively a trecartista. The most famous example in Italy certainly is Francesco Totti. You could also say Maradona or Platini or big number 10 players are examples of trecartistas. You could even sometimes use Lionel Messi in that way. It's essentially a, a number 10 player, not a false nine, which is a different thing, a decoy for a striker. Thank you very much. All Boom. right. Um, where are we? We are with Joe Lowry, who's going to give us... I think this is another... At- How much Italian terminology is in this list? Quite a lot. Joe, tell us about Trivella. So a Trivella is a term for hitting the ball with the outside of your foot. So especially as a shot, but you could also have a Trivella pass as well. Ricardo Caresma, who's Portuguese, is famous for this kind of, of shot, really. It's a beautiful thing. It's one of my most fun. It's one of my favorite things, I should say, to watch in a soccer game. It doesn't happen often, but when you see that outside of the boot, outside of the boot shot, that's a Travella. It is indeed. Thank you very much. And Quaresma being the king of the Travella. Thank you very much, Joseph Lowry. Graham Ruthven, your term is turnover. 
So a turnover is any situation that results in a loss of possession of the ball to the opposing team. So it could be a tackle, a slide tackle, an interception, an interception that results in a loss, loss of possession. They would all be considered a turnover, but it can also relate to a player making a, a poor touch or a mistake. Basically, any open play situation where the ball changes hands is a turnover. Also, an apple turnover, which Antonio Conte doesn't allow his players to eat, right? And that's why I don't play for Tottenham. It is indeed. Uh, and there's other reasons probably too, Graham. Too many to nope. get into. Today, <laughs> Taylor Rockwell, uh, I believe you had CONCACAF in part one. You've got another uh, federation acronym coming your way in UEFA. Yeah, Union of European Football Associations. It's the governing body for soccer in Europe. It administers football, futsal, and beach soccer in Europe, as well as Israel and Asia, and the Eurasian transcontinental countries whoo boy, of Turkey, Cyprus, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Georgia, and Kazakhstan. It's 55 member states. Russia used to be in there. Uh, no longer they were kicked out. Wonderful stuff. They'll Thank be back. You. I think they're suspended, but yeah, all the same. Yeah. Does that mean, t- did Belarus get kicked out as well? Not yet that I know of, but also maybe like UEFA just thought like, yeah, you guys aren't going to qualify anyway. It's fine. Huh. Interesting stuff. All right. Thank you, Taylor. Um, I'm going to come to yet another Italian term. I'm going to tell you what ultras or ultras, um, fanatical supporters who are very organized. They make tifos, as we heard earlier. They bring flares. They lead chants. They generate the most noise in the stadium. They're found often in the curva, as we heard before. The supporters section behind the goal, that is. Sometimes have political ideologies behind them. Uh, American examples would be the Sons of Ben in Philly, the Timbers Army, or in Scotland, say, the Green Brigade for Celtic. Not to be confused, guys with hooligans who are generally uh, associated with trouble and violence. These are organised fanatical fans. Ultras. Oh, 30 seconds on the dot. Nice. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we are with Joe. We are with you. And you're going to tell us, Joseph, what a James Milner is. Sorry, what a utility player is. <laughs> Ryan, you took a page right out of the book I was about to read. I'm going to make this an interactive one after I give my definition. So a utility player is someone who can play and ends up playing all sorts of positions for their team. I would argue it cannot be a star player. It more so is someone who can step in when needed, but maybe isn't always going to play every game. So Ryan, you, you already set your stall out at James Milner as your utility player of choice. Taylor Graham, any takers on utility players? John O'Shea. Yeah, John O'Shea. that's who I was going to say as well. John O'Shea <laughs> was, was the one I was going for. Uh, Dion Dublin as well. He played yeah. a number of different positions up front and in central defense. <laughs> Those two. Those two were not on my list, believe it or not. Um, yeah, I, I had, played goalkeeper. <laughs> we'll throw that one in there. James Miller and Kellen Acosta were the two on my list, but those are excellent shouts as well. I assume I don't think I've ever seen either one of those people play soccer before. Let's David, move on. I mean, John, John O'Shea made a full career out of being a utility player yeah. <laughs> for Manchester United. So for me, and I think for Taylor as well, he is the quintessential utility player. Boom. Yep. There, no arguments here. That is forever what I will think of when it comes to that term. What would we say for someone like David James, the goalkeeper, who famously played a couple times up front as well? Is that utility or is that just like a freakish situation? I think it's sort of just a one-off. It's still cool and notable, but it's it's maybe just one step further than someone saying, oh, Manuel Neuer could play in midfield, but he probably won't ever do that. (laughs) Good stuff. All right, Graham Ruthven, we come to you with Vanishing Spray. 
So this is a term that wouldn't have been included in this list 10 years ago because it's a relatively new innovation in soccer. So vanishing spray is a substance applied to a football pitch in order to uh, to provide a temporary visual marker. It's used by referees to mark out where defensive walls should be and to stop them encroaching on a free kick taker, something that was seen as a problem before the introduction of said vanishing spray, and it's not such a problem now. I wonder, Graham, is, do we know what it's made of? Is it like biodegradable? Is it going to kill polar bears one day if we have too many free kicks? I, I, I believe it's made of lemon meringue. <laughs> wow, so it's delicious and it's useful. Wow, excellent stuff. Yeah. Good. All right, uh, Taylor, another acronym coming your way, V-A-R. Graham, what was the opening sentence to your vanishing spray? It wouldn't have been included in this, in this list 10 years ago. Yes, yeah, so we can apply that to VAR. Uh, it's an officiating system meant to correct clear and obvious errors, for sure, uh, by the on-field crew, but instead mostly focuses on drawing two lines that tend to be on top of each other that somehow uh, mean that a goal doesn't count. And universally adored, right? Of course, universally adored for sure. But yeah, it's meant to correct obvious errors or things that the officiating crew may have missed on the pitch. And to undermine them also. Also that, also that for sure. Uh, Had noble (laughs) intentions. Seems like maybe people have soured on it somewhat to a whole bunch. Indeed. Uh, It's being refined. You know, it's going to get a lot better, I'm sure, Taylor. We shall see. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, A few more terms to go. Five or six terms to go. We're at term 95. It is my term. I'm going to describe wall. It's a defensive strategy for free kicks. You place a wall of players in like a straight line in front of the goal to block a shot attempt. Uh, it can be anything from one player to like five or six. And um, we've seen it evolve in recent seasons to include what's referred to as a draft excluder, a guy laying on the ground to stop low shots creeping under the wall when it jumps, when the free kick is taken as well. A wall in the defensive strategy. There we go. Um, Joe Lowry, or oh, you, you're getting a good um, stereotypical transfer window yes. uh, term here. It is war chest. Short and sweet. So the war chest mm-hmm. refers to the amount of money that a manager, another key decision maker, can use to sign players. It's how much that money they have from the ownership and whoever's providing that cash. The war chest is how much they can spend to get new uh, acquisitions. Were there actually, Taylor, you know about history and stuff. Was there actually literally a chest <laughs> that funded wars that was full of like golden rubies and stuff? Is that where it comes from? I, honestly, yeah, I think so. Because I think you had like treasure galleons that would be heavily guarded, but would be hauling gold and silver from the colonies and such to the home like em- empire nations. So, yeah, I imagine there is sort of a war chest that you would keep your gold in for specific things. Yeah, slightly depressing historical reference there for uh, bit. transfers. A little bit. Graham Rutherford, winger. So traditionally, a winger is a wide midfield player whose primary focus is to provide crosses into the penalty area. This is another one of those terms that's been expanded in recent times and in the modern age of the game to, incli- to include sorry, wide forwards who are there to score goals. So think of players like Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah. But in essence, it's a player positioned in a wide and advanced position on the pitch. You guys are getting very good. Uh, the, the buzzer is starting to gather a layer of dust on it. Mm. Um, very good uh, as, as this uh, process has gone on. Um, Taylor, let's come to you with work rate. Yeah, you could also say engine for this one, but it's a phrase relating to a player's physical fitness combined with their willingness to work, usually when not in possession. So it's how hard you're willing to work to win that ball, ball back and the energy you put into doing so. 
Good stuff. A strong work rate from the TSS team over these two episodes, by the way. We're doing a bang-up job. We are up to term number 99. Uh, I'm going to talk you through a yo-yo club. It's a team that goes up and down between divisions, like a yo-yo moves up and down. Old-fashioned toy for kids. Ask your parents, uh, Joe. Um, Examples of yo-yo clubs, Fulham and Norwich, most recent examples. Norwich have been relegated four times since 2014. Uh, They've been back and forth from the Premier League in the last four seasons. Fulham followed a similar path as well. Yo-yo clubs, there's been a few, few history, um, and they all get parachute payments, as we described earlier in this podcast. That was turn 99. Joe Lowry, you get the honour and privilege of term number 100. It is zonal marking. I am honoured, Ryan. So zonal marking is the defensive strategy that most teams use in open play. So it's where defenders cover an area of the pitch rather than marking and hanging on to a specific opponent. If an opponent moves into their area, into that area the defender is covering, the defender marks that opponent temporarily. Then once the attacking player moves away, the defender doesn't really go with them. So it's pretty sound. It keeps numbers in good areas and generally helps you not get pulled all around the field. It's also a common strategy when defending corner kicks as well. Same idea behind both. Excellent stuff, Joe. Well done, everybody. We have reached term 100. That was Z for zonal marking. But wait! We have one more term. Turn number 101. We're slightly moving away from alphabetizing here. Guys, Taylor, is there yeah. one term we should probably define that we haven't got to yet? If you could think of one term in this game, what would Hot it be? Dog. Hot what? dog. <laughs> uh, probably soccer. <laughs> we should probably talk about soccer for a yeah. moment. Yes, yeah. let's do that. Why don't we, oh, I'm going to turn the 30-second clock off now. Let's have yeah. at it and talk about soccer for a little sure. bit, Taylor. And I think we're talking about it because, like, when we when we used to do live broadcasts, when we would do uh, stereo, and you could have people call in with questions. Whenever we would do those, the first one would always it's be called football. You guys, yeah, it's called football, not <laughs> soccer. Uh, and I always enjoyed sort of trouncing that because the people who were saying that the accents gave them away as being English. You're the ones who called it soccer, jerks. Uh, because <laughs> when it's first kind of evolves, it's worth noting that there's a lot of different sports that involve a round ball being kicked or carried or thrown or whatever it may be. And so you had different names for different sports. And I think for a while, football in the United States was a different sport than both soccer and American football. But more to the purposes of this conversation, when you start association football, you also have uh, rugby football is what rugby was called at the time. So mm-hmm. to distinguish between rugby football and the football association, they used a part of that word association, the SOC part specifically. Sometimes it would be a sock. Sometimes it would be a soccer because they'd add that ER onto it. And eventually it gets shortened to soccer. And so it's the British uh, who use both soccer and football interchangeably for a good long while. Uh, and when the United States, uh, I guess, picks it up and starts using soccer is when the Brits immediately bail on that as a term and then mock us for using it. Yeah, that's effectively what happened there, Tato, I would say timeline-wise. If you look at um, English soccer up until even like the 1970s and 80s and you look at broadcast, it's used very regularly as a term. If you look at the 1966 World Cup, they used the term soccer the whole way through. And um, the two biggest shows on British TV, Soccer AM and Soccer Saturday, both use the term. They still do it now. So um, I kind of forgot about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> t- t- totally still around. And one interesting thing to look at the etymology is they're adding ER to sock from association. Um, I kind of meant, I think I mentioned newbies being um, uh, abbreviated to noobs and platy jubes for platinum jubilee. That's a kind of 
um, current trend of abbreviating things to make it to, to be funny in British culture. And back then, in the late 19th century, the funny thing to do was to add ER to things. So rugby, for example, was known as rugger. And if you are posh enough in the UK, you probably still call it rugger, in fact. So that's kind of the, the, the reason why the ER was um, added. In that kind of period, sort of Victorian era, is when that, that was the trend to sort of um, be down with the kids, so to speak. As the Victorians yeah, would say. And to stick with the kids as a theme, this is where you insert the like, we learned it by watching you. That that's that's how we got that term. It's your fault, not ours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm totally fine with it. I say I say soccer all the time. I must admit when I first moved to the States, it took me a while yeah. to use that term. Yeah. But I don't I, have any beef with it. I think I think what I've what I've found, and I, I would love to hear what you all think about this, is basically it's just to be about like cultural relativism and sensitivity that if I'm talking to a British person, I'm going to say football. Mm-hmm. If I'm talking to an American, I'm probably going to say soccer. I, I don't I, if you want to call it football here, if you want to call it soccer there, uh, I think one of those is going to be less popular than the other. Uh, but I think either way, ultimately, we, we know what sport you're talking about. So I don't think it matters all that much. I think it should be OK to use them interchangeably. But at the same time, I think there are people who don't. And so uh, if you're talking to an English person, chances are it's a safer bet to say football. I deliberately say soccer to British people and football to American people. Attaboy. Just to just oh. to balance you out, Taylor. That's fair. I appreciate <laughs> that, Joe. But I should also add, unless you're talking to a Scottish person, in which case it's F I T B A, I believe. Fitba. Fit Fitba. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> just to be different. Fitba or football. There we go. <laughs> oh man. All right. That was our hundred and first term soccer, also defined as the game we all love and why we're friends and why we're here today. Did we make Aww. it through 101 terms without saying the beautiful game? Because if so, well done, fellas. Well and done. I think we, we did. did. And we almost made it through two whole episodes without saying the beautiful game. And, and now we've said it, it twice. Yeah. Hot yeah. dog. <laughs> Um, that uh, that was very fun. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, guys. And I hope it was informative. I certainly learned a couple of things, certainly about the historical uh, usage of terms and the, the uh, reasoning behind them. Uh, so I will finish up by saying, Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for your part in this 100th and 101st episode spectacular. And for, you know, being Soccer 101 daddy for us all and bringing it to us. Dad. We love you, man. <laughs> That was very sweet and also made my skin crawl. Oh. Uh, thank you thank you all so much for listening, <laughs> listeners. But uh, Graham, Joe, and Ryan, sincerely thank you all for, for making this uh, such a fun show to get to do. Uh, if people go back and listen to certain episodes, like the Bosman episode, for example, there was a period of time when we had to kind of record them individually and they were more scripted. Uh, and so to have all four of us on them and have it be a bit conversational, a bit lighthearted, a bit energetic, I really, really enjoy these shows. So thank you three for being here and thanks to the listeners for listening oh yeah indeed joe lowry thank you very much sir been a pleasure oh thank you ryan bailey <laughs> and graham rusvin likewise but good job thank you ryan bailey and good job to you as well oh you're too kind listener thank you so much for sticking with us through 101 episodes we'll be back with 102 on the feed very shortly but for now catch you later <laughs> <laughs>